for you who fear my name. Welcome to the Lanky Guys hey. with Father Peter and Scott. I am the FP. And I'm Scott Powell. And we're ready for the word on the hill. We're ready for action. We're ready for anything. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> I'm scared. Why are you scared? You always say that. When <laughs> you funny. did that. I was like, who Who are you? Because it was so awesome. Yeah, I feel like everything sounds different in my headphones. Everything does sound different. It's probably because there's a new garage band. Yeah, dude, we like downloaded the new garage band. You guys now know our secret technology on how we make a podcast. Garage band. We don't, you know, we wish we were cool, like do it on like Pro Tools. I don't know or, what that means. Like... Yeah, that's a that's a audio recording suite. I probably will not be using that. No, because you're not a pro, and, oh. and, you, and you and you are a tool. <laughs> Seriously, that was just yeah. mean. So you're so, in a mean mood right now, aren't you, dude? No. So my funny voice scared you. You called me a tool, <laughs> not a pro. Welcome to the Word on the Hill, everybody. With the tool, idiot. With the tool, <laughs> who teaches you every? Dude, you're not a tool. You know, like so much more than me. No, that's not true. I just know different things than you. We're just different. We're just different. You're unique, like everybody else. Thanks. I really appreciate you saying that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we have our one year anniversary fast approaching. Dude, I am. I'm really. I'm really excited. I think we're gonna probably do our our one year um our one year anniversary podcast, and then we're gonna have a special event after that. What? <laughs> Because as December first is the is is the first Sunday of Advent, and that was the that was what we did. Is we did the first Sunday of Advent, and so I'm going to be out of town. You're going to be out of town, so we're going to. Oh, to that do, is that during Thanksgiving? Yeah, because uh, the, oh, the weekend after Thanksgiving is the first Sunday of Advent. Well, we can do the calendar one year anniversary. Yes, exactly. It'll it'll be the calendar version. It'll. St- we're doing something real cool, <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be on the one year ish anniversary. It's going to be like the live lanky guys. We're going to do a live set. Where will we be? Where will we, dude <laughs> on a street I, corner somewhere? Dude, I saw that there was this priest, and what he does is he like geotags pictures, and then people know where he is to come talk to him. Seriously? Yeah. How does anybody? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. All right. So what um, happened? You guys, something. A lot of things have changed since we've last podcast. Like what? Really? Um, yeah, my. Do I know about them? My face looks really. Oh, different. your face has changed. I grew them. I well, I had a beard, and I shaved it into a goatee, and then I shaved it into a mustache. True story. And my mustache made me look like Luigi from Mario Brothers. That's true. And um, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. I was pretty happy with it. And but then, like, you only kept it for a day. No, I had it for a week. I had it for almost no, a full calendar week. Can that be true? Yes, dude. I did it on Thursday, and I cut it off last night. And tomorrow's yesterday's Tuesday. We so don't hang out. We don't hang days. out with each other enough. No, <laughs> apparently we really, we really don't. That's the, that's the moral to that story. Basically, you're my podcasting friend, and I did we not see it, each other the latter part of last week? No, uh, you guys don't care about this. We should move on. <laughs> we should get to things that you do care about. Dude, it, well, this is how they feel about us that we don't see. We don't see you until dude Thursday. I, I want to give a shout out to my brother Neil and Adrian. They're just totally his wife? awesome. Yeah, Neil, I've never Adrian. met. I've met Neil, but I've never met Adrian. Yeah, and um, and my brother, my brother, he uh, he says he's he is sustained by lanky guys, and so dude, I'm super stoked to sustain my brother. He except for he doesn't call me on the phone because he feels like he's had conversations with me. You know, because what? I he can understand the lanky that. guys. I can feel that. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to and we were liked on Facebook by an entire youth group. 
the other day. Dude, that's that's kind of like I feel like like a, a group hug <laughs> gone totally intense. Yeah. It's St. Greg's Youth Ministry in Oh. Where is it? Near Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. Buffalo Soldier. Dreadlock Rasta. And Neil, and your brother is a mutual friend of ours. So that's how I that's why I was reminded of that. Oh, dude. That's so the St. Greg's awesome. Youth Ministry and whoever may listen to us. Dude. Hi. Shout out. What shout book? out to you. Yeah, dude, I like St. Greg's. It's huge. Is it? Yeah, dude. It this- looks like it. They look very active. I, I Facebook stalked your page. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not stalking if they're my friends. Yeah. They're my friends. It's cool. Dude, it's, it's cool. cool, you guys. You have they friends. like me. I'm not stalking. I also have to give a shout out to Bryce Comfort of Tacoma, Washington. Dude, that's a great name. It is a great name, isn't it? Who, um, oh, so let me let me throw this out to you. Okay. Uh, he had, I thought I'd be just checking on the clock. Um, he had an insight, though, on the book of Malachi, the, the first reading from last week that I didn't prepare you for it because I just want to get your thoughts on it. That was interesting. It's oh, it's sort of the he's right. It it uh, his take on it was sort of the the more orthodox Christian kind of point of view on this, but but the idea was um, the idea that the intense love of heaven is actually produced from the same source that makes the fires of hell. So so God is God Himself. So the idea being that the the presence in the presence of God, those those who have become saints experiences light and rest. This is Bryce writing. And those who have remained lost experience that same thing as torment. Yeah. Which was, uh, it's a, it's a, when I read, Ma- he says, when I re- read Malachi, I see that the day of the Lord is coming to everyone. To some, it's going to burn them to stubble. For others, it's going to be like healing rays of the son of justice. Um, and I, I kind of like that take on it. It is a little more orthodox for sure. Yeah. Um, but I liked that take. Yeah. I've always actually described it that way. It's like, it, yeah. it's like if you've ever had somebody love you and you feel totally unlovable, it's, yeah. it's a burning pain. Yeah, totally. And, or you, yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, if you're not accustomed to warmth and you get heated up too quickly, it's it burning. Stings. It stings. Bryce also. Tastes like burning. Bryce also, uh, so he mentioned <laughs> the, what he called the Wagon Wheel song in last week's episode. It was actually the the Welcome Wagon was the band. But he said he actually credits Stufian Stevens for partially helping bring him back to Christ. Oh. Um, which is just cool because we were talking about that whole idea of Christian artists and Christian musicians yeah. or Christians who are musicians. And Suvian has all these themes in his music, and he just said he listened to it all through high school, and there were just all these things that just kind of kept pricking at his heart. And yeah. finally broke through it's it's just really beautiful so he commended our scriptural knowledge and our taste in music which made me happy dude that brings me a lot of comfort <laughs> well done <laughs> uh, all right all right well anyway well anyway well anyways um let's just get on to, to the it. readings yeah I, i'm feeling like today is a day for my conversion good as you should it is so this is I guess so. I'm confused about the nature of this Sunday, which is Christ the King Sunday. It's the the, the feast of Christ the King. Yes. Is this uh, where what, liturg- what liturgical season are we in? Are we still in ordinary time? Are we in Advent yet? Are we stuck kind of in between? Are we in a, its own little world? You know what? Where are we? We can uh, we can tell by what we wear. You are wearing a black Cliff Bar T-shirt. I uh, that with your is... Roman collar cast asunder. <laughs> <laughs> why why yes well it's a solemnity so it's white so it's not purple and it's not green so it's not in either li- dude i think that the i think that it is the summation all of all of creation i think it's the destiny of all of man and so it does, needs no long it needs no season because he is the king of the universe and then what year are we in 
We are in the year of the Lord. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Yeah, yeah. So are, when are does we the last year or this year? The liturgical year ends begins next week. I so will, we're still in it's year C. So we're in the final. So this is the final Sunday of year C. Final, final, right? final Sunday. So this is like New Year's Eve. This is yeah. This is New Year's this is, Eve. This is the big New Year's Eve party. This is the big new. I always thought that we should have the big New Year's Eve party on Christ the King. I like. We don't we really should. celebrate Christ the King like over no, the top. Which like stinks. Which I f- I feel stinks. like in some sense. Voice got really high. Stinks. <laughs> it stinks, everybody. <laughs> Come on, guys. Dude, I feel like it Let should be play. like thrown down on because it really it, what it is is it's it's also the representation where all is consumed by fire. <laughs> Shoot. And that was last week. That's fire and love, and like that was last week. And, though. and I want to be in the kingdom. But we all want to be in the kingdom, man. I know. So does that guy on the cross who we'll get to in the gospel. So let's get there. Okay. Let's, let's get to it. So today <laughs> is the Christ the King. Feast of, stop it. Stop it. The solemnity of Christ the King. Um, um, the which, the, the webpage says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Dude, it's, which I like. it's the best. It's so dramatic. What day is it? It's the face day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Universe. Yeah! Like I wanna like I wanna like give a mighty <laughs> hearty salute. Yeah, you should. With with like weaponry and braveheart makeup on. <laughs> Good. Well let's do that. Do that on Sunday. Okay. For your homily. All right. Which masses do you have? Because uh, that would go over at night, not in the morning. I have Do uh, that at the seven thirty AM. <laughs> I actually I have the five five o'clock Saturday night and seven thirty a.m. This then you got to do it. Yeah, because there are no evening masses this weekend. Oh, because Thanksgiving well, Thanksgiving begun. They all leave. All right. So our first reading is coming from Second Samuel chapter five verses one through three. That's a good one. Our Psalm responsorial Psalm is Psalm one twenty two. One twenty two. One two one through two two three through four four through five. Our second reading is from the book of Colossians. Yay. <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> that was like the most unenthusiastic yay I've ever done. Chapter one. Yay. That's versus, really good. Verses 12 through 20. Father Peter just got a colon, a colossinoscopy. <laughs> colossinoscopy. Okay. I wasn't going to say it. I know. That was I resisted. I was, I was, I was resisting. I was going to wait until later. Unreal. All right. And then our gospel is from the gospel of Luke. Chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. Very good. Do appreciate you giving us a syllabus of our adventures this day. Mm. I do appreciate your ability to invite me into this particular method of discovering the scriptures in a podcastual way. That podcastual. <laughs> oh, that was a good ad- <laughs> that allows that was a good adverb. connection <clears throat> intra and intertextuality in such a mode that it informs my brain okay. to the leading of conversion. All right. Okay, good. That's Nigel. We're all set now. That, dude, we just had a guest lecturer. His name <laughs> is Professor Nigel. Thank you, Professor. Yes. Can we move on? No. You didn't expect me to say that, did you? I did, sort of. I know. I can read you like a book. <laughs> <laughs> then yes, let's move on. Uh, so Second Samuel. Okay, dude. I've got a Seriously? lot to say. So do I. I've got a lot to say about Second Samuel, dude. Like, Should I give the background first? Well, yeah. Because you know the majority of what I usually have to say about the first reading is just the background. Well, that I I wanted in on some of that action Do this it, week, man. so I, well, take it. I, I mean, take it. And no, run. no, I got. But I have existential, not historical background. Right, that's why I wanted to go first. Okay, go. So you can. I'm just the. I'm just the foundation. I'm just the uh, the cakey part of the cake. You're the frosting and the whipping and dude, the cherry and stuff. You give me that all that love after I've treated you so badly. Yeah. What do you think of that? 
I feel I feel sad and thankful. <laughs> As you should. Both of those <laughs> realities. All right. Uh, so, um, Second Samuel, the book of Second Samuel, is very. Um, the whole book is very David centric. So in the <laughs> things are happening in the um, in the kind of the. the in the, what's called the historical books. So the historical books are kind of the, the first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, Chronicles, Judges, Joshua, that whole kind of schema of things. Yeah. There's a number of kind of major characters that come up. There's the figure of Saul, the first king. There's this guy Samuel, and then there's David. Yeah. And David is, um, this is kind of the beginning, second Samuel is kind of the beginning of the story of David. And David is, as we all know, probably the most, one of the most important people in Jewish thought um, his name, actually, I just think this is interesting. That David's we, name is mentioned in the Old Testament 800 times. That's uh, kind of a couple references. Yeah, it's it's a lot of them. I don't know if there's anybody else who's mentioned more. I don't even think Moses is. I was going to say Moses, perhaps, but yeah. I'd have to do a count. But 800 times, that's a lot. Now, was his was his kingdom considered a dynasty? Yes. Because okay. it was, uh, what is dynasty? Dynasty, it means related to a name. So it was always called the Davidic kingdom. So from that point on, all of the kings who would come after David were called the sons of David. Even oh. if they were the great, 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 great grandson. Oh, okay. They're still the sons of David. So a dynasty is always connected to a name. How does that relate back to Duck Dynasty? I don't, what's their name? I don't know. Is it Duck? <laughs> 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. The, the, I, I mean, know. we have existential questions to answer here. Yes, we do. That's a big one. That's why I wore my camouflage. Okay, here's one thing I do want to say, though, about about this. In the in the stories of David, of which this is sort of the beginning, we already met David. Samuel, remember, went to him at one point and announced you were going to be the king someday when he was a little shepherd boy. David grew up. Ready. He became a warrior. He got really popular Rocks. because he would stand up for people and everything. Sling. Um, um, so yeah, so Samuel tells him he's going to be king. He's just a shepherd boy. He begins to grow. He has the you have the battle with Goliath. Um, you know he's winning all these wars. He's having this great victory. People love him. People love him so much that King Saul, the current king, who is a, a jerk, gets jealous, runs him out of town. David has to live in the wilderness, all the while knowing that God has actually chosen him to be king. And David waits years and years and years and years for the promise that was that was actually made to him yeah. to actually come to fruition, which speaks tremendously to the humility of David, at least in the beginning of his life. He waits for a really long time and he will not take it. He won't, he could just go after Saul and be like, forget you, Saul, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take the throne because God promised it to me. Yeah. But he actually never will. Even when he's given a couple opportunities to do it, he never does because he knows God hasn't given it to me yet. So it's kind of neat. But one thing, it, which, oh. which when I'm looking at David, I'm like, in some sense, that that is at the heart of his righteousness. Yeah, it is. L- like it, it, the the nobility that he showed in respecting the Lord's anointed, yeah. it, th- that is, as I'm reading First Samuel, as I'm reading Second Samuel, that is like the hallmark of everything that he's doing is he's respecting about all, <laughs> dare I say, now you can correct me, but it seems like sometimes that's about the only thing that he respects because <laughs> the dude is tough. Yeah, he's clearly. He is. He is uh, sometimes, uh, albeit I would say ruthless. He can be, for sure. And I mean, but that does come out later on. It does come out toward the end of his life is his ruthlessness 
in getting what he wants. And so he does have a pretty tremendous fall. Now, and we know that story, right? Bathsheba and he kills a guy and all this stuff, which is interesting. And that's why I want to just say a word about, because throughout the whole story of David, and it's long and he's mentioned 800 times, you get these great moments of adoration, of humility, but you see also these huge moments of failure for David. Tremendous. Which is interesting because that's really important because it's really, really unique historically. If you read through the Old Testament, it's a majority of stories about failure kings. Right. Mm-hmm. David has good moments, but he's also got a lot of failures, which if you look in the histories of any other ancient culture known to man in in um, uh, antiquity. Right. Any ancient culture, if you go through the, the annals of, of Babylonian kings, the Assyrian kings, Egyptians, whoever, every single king, you never will read a story about a king who made a mistake. You will never read a story mm. about a king who did something wrong. Every mm. king is considered a demigod. Yeah. Every decision they make is right. Every war they win. Every act they have is just because the king is the king and the winners are always the writers of history, right? Yeah. It is in the Bible alone, it is in Jewish history alone that yeah, they show the failure of their kings. Well, they sure do show it with David because, man, as I'm reading that, I'm like, this brother was a little bit rougher than I remember him. Sometimes I like have him in like yeah. such intense we- dignity. And we can't do that. And so when Christians kind of fall into that holy card image of these Old Testament figures uh-huh. and, not, and forget about the flaws and the warts and everything else that they have, yeah. we actually make a tremendous mistake. Because the reason that Jewish in Jewish history alone, the Bible alone, points out all of these flawed kings, it's because God wants to remind us that we are never to put our kings on pedestals. Oh. That is not what we are to do. We are to learn from them, and we are to primarily learn from their mistakes. Yeah. So, I mean, we call the Old Testament Torah, which comes from the Hebrew verb yara with a Y, uh-huh. which means to point at. or to, to It's literally to throw a javelin in a specific direction, to point in a specific direction. And so the understanding is everything in the Old Testament, in the Torah, is meant to yara us to teach, to point us in a direction. So when you read stories about failure kings or about David doing awful things or about Saul and his madness, all of that is meant to actually direct us and instruct us oftentimes about what not to do and what to avoid. This is why, you know, when people come to us with these questions about the Bible, like, how can you believe the Bible? Look at all these terrible things. Look at all these polygamous kings. Look at all this stuff. How can you believe the Bible? Well, we believe the Bible because most of that is there to teach us what to avoid. So I don't have any problem when I read all these stories about terrible people in the Old Testament because that's why they're there, to warn us against that stuff, Mm. which I just think is really neat to point out because it is completely and wholly unique, as far as I know, in the history of humankind. Nobody ever wrote that way about their kings. But that's what God wants to show You're already like answering like questions that I had because I was like looking and I was going like, I mean, there's like a litany at the beginning of the second book of Samuel that starts talking about like all these kids that David had. And I'm not like, and it's talking about who the women they're with. And I'm like, David, you had that many women. And then he's got this other concubine. And then this dude is like, I mean, like it's getting weird at the beginning. It totally does. Yes. And they make no, I mean, that's not to be glossed over. It's not to be read over. It's meant to be there and remind us, you know what? This guy is not a demigod. Your kings, Israel, even though the other people might consider their kings demigods, yeah. you are never to do that. Look, here's your stark. I mean, I actually think if you, I mean, imagine somebody's doing a um, a, uh, a reality TV show about your life. Ooh. And in the editing process, they choose all of the worst parts about your week. And they put those on the air. And you're like, ah, oh, that's not my life. That's actually kind of what they're doing in the scriptures. I, I think the bad acts are actually outweighed. I think the good acts are actually outweighed by the bad ones. 
it's not a full picture. This is a selective history. Yeah. And you tend to get highlighted the bad stuff because I think the scripture really is trying to drive home that point. Do not worship your kings. You worship your God alone, but you don't worship David, even though you're going to be tempted to and all the other nations are doing it. Be reminded. Never never fall into that. Yeah. So it's a big deal. It is. Now, where we pick it up this week in chapter 5, this is the moment where David... Finally, so he was told by Samuel way back when he was a little kid he was going to be the king. Later on, he's actually made king of uh, the tribe of Judah, so he's made kind of king over one of the tribes. Oh, that makes a lot of sense because I was looking and he's like, "I am, I am king," and then you're like, and then he's anointed king, and then exactly. But so, then they're bringing all the elders up, and he's in Hebron, but then yep. he's going to go to Jerusalem. Exactly. So originally, he's made king just of Judah. Yeah. And he has to wait because he's been waiting up to this point. Now he has to wait again. And so it's not until chapter five that he's finally anointed king over all 12 tribes. So this is the moment that he's in his, his last 22 years of his life. He'll reign over everybody. Which, which, dude, I just have to say the passage right before we get to this point where he's anointed king. Two guys find Saul's one of Saul's sons. Yes. They, oh, my. It's they, Ishbael. Is that right? Is yeah, that the story? Yeah. And they kill the, they kill the dude in his bed. And then they come back and they're like, hey, look at what we did. Great. And then David's like, dude, do you guys not remember how the guy who who just departed him and he was already wounded, how I killed him? And you don't think I'm going to spare him? They cut his, cut off his hands and their feet. And then they hung him. Then they hung these two guys. Well, you know why, though? I mean, yes, that was probably a pretty brutal way to approach it. Yeah, I mean, that's like intense. It's like, don't mess with the don't mess with the babysitter. Well, no, it's don't mess with the covenant. David made a covenant with Saul. Do you remember this? Do you remember that whole scene? I think... I think it was in the scene, correct me if I'm wrong, do you remember that scene? I tell, I tell Samuel, my son, the story, because he loves it. I always tell him the story every night before bed. Uh, do you remember the story when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness and he has to go to the bathroom and he yeah. chooses that cave? And Dave's in and there. And David cuts off the corner of his shirt and the kids just love that. And they're like, tell the story about Saul. You know? um, but I think it's at that moment that David actually says, okay, your, your days are numbered, basically, Saul. And Saul says, okay, I've, I've done this wrong. I've, I've been terrible. But David makes a covenant with Saul that even though Saul is, is totally a loser, that David will actually protect his family. He's like, don't hold this against my family. Don't hold this against my descendants, my kids. Oh. Be kind. This is my sin. This is my fault. And David said, okay, I will swear a covenant to you that I will not touch. Because what do you do? If, you have new, if you're a new power in a kingdom... Where's your biggest threat going to come? It's going to come from the offspring and the children and the family of your predecessor. Yeah. So what do most kings do? Well, they wipe everybody out. David makes a point. He's like, no, I will not do that because I swore a covenant. Saul that I wouldn't do that. Wow. So when he sees his guys doing that, he says, no, you have broken my covenant. I made a covenant that this would not happen, and you have actually made me into a liar. You've made me into a covenant breaker because this has happened. So that's a big deal to him. So although I don't know about the cutting off the arms and the feet, you can see the weight of why this is such a big deal. Oh, gosh, yeah, that makes sense, because I was sitting there, and I'm like, What's going on? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, but it it does also, even though maybe the the punishment wasn't quite correct, it does still say something about David and his humility to that. Yeah. But at this moment, um, where we get to, so that's the backdrop. So at this moment in chapter 5, starting verse, what do we start in verse 1? Yeah. Verse 1, this is the moment where he actually becomes king over everybody. And what we read in the first part is all the the tribes of Israel, so representatives of all the tribes, came up to David at Hebron where he was because Jerusalem is conquered in verse 6, which is a big deal. 
But they all come up to David and basically they say, okay, we are anointing you our king. And they lay out three reasons that David deserves to be king. And I think this is key to where our gospel is going. And here's what they speak. They say, there's three reasons. They say, we are your own flesh and blood. You see that? That's number one. So even though basically what they're saying is, even though there's been all this strife in the kingdom and there's been these divisions because of Saul and what he did, we are still one people. We do still recognize that you are our brother. You have right, you have the bloodline right to this throne. So we're your flesh and blood. That's reason number one that we're okay with you as king. Verse two, it says in the past, while Saul was king over us, you were actually the one who led Israel in their military campaigns. So in other words, you've proven to us. Here's reason number two that you could be a good king because you've proven to us. You have defended us. You've stood up for our people and that's very good. And then third and the most important reason, the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be my ruler. So the three reasons that he is fit to be king is that he is of the correct bloodline. He is a part of Israel. He has defended them from their enemies. He stood up for them in battle and been victorious. And number three, because the Lord said so. Do you see where, yeah, you see where this is going? I totally see where it's going. This is exciting. Now, um, the last thing just to say about that, after this whole scene ends in verse 6, then David conquers up and decides to take Jerusalem as his capital because he doesn't really have a capital yet. And he takes Jerusalem. You might be wondering, well, wait a second, where where was Jerusalem this whole time? Well, Jerusalem at that time was controlled by a group called the Jebusites. So remember, Jerusalem is around, it's probably settled in the third, third millennium BC. And then it's around in Abraham's time and there was this king there. Then after that, the Jebusites took it over. So basically, it's it's right on the line between the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, which was a big source of one of the splits that Paul, Saul had caused. So in an effort, it's kind of politically interesting, in an effort to sort of reunite the whole kingdom back to each other, um, he puts his capital smack in the middle of the two divided parts of it. So it's to neither fi- favor one nor the other because it's not actually in either, but it bridges the gap between these two divided parts of the kingdom. Oh. Um, so even in establishing his kingdom, is his capital there, he's uniting, he's kind of creating the universality of Israel in a certain sense. It's awesome. Yeah. Which we don't read about this week, but what's interesting is that the psalm speaks to it. That's actually what the psalm is about. So the psalm sort of points ahead to what the first reading was already. It finishes the first reading for us because the psalm is all about, let us, what does it say? Um, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, cry aloud Jerusalem. And I went up to Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Yeah. What do you got? Ah. <laughs> in Thanksgiving. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I'm just looking at, uh, I, I was just watching David and as, as I was looking at this, it's like the, um, we'll get to this when we look at Christ in relationship to his coming into his kingdom. Yeah. Um, but w- w- what we're seeing is that the the Lord, it's well, actually you blew my mind because I my thoughts were different. Like that that the Lord is in contrast; He's made a covenant with Israel. Mm. Yeah, no. <laughs> he's he uh, he he's in covenant with Israel, and um, and he actually protects it in so, in the same way the the digni- the dignity that that um, David protected the children of Saul. Yes. But, but it's kind of horrifying. I mean, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like it's a really kind of disturbing foreshadowing, but but beautiful at the nonetheless. It's beautiful in the sense that if God is sworn to protect us, which he has, what is he going to do? What is he going to think of someone who tries to destroy us? Yeesh. I mean, that's where we have to put ourselves. Why do you say things so better than me? No, no, no. 
<laughs> so you say so the gooder. things that are better they go to good ma ha ha. I think that is really funny that no. I, that I I didn't say that correctly. <laughs> that somehow I lost that my ability actually, to say English when you say the things the better. That was actually pretty funny. Thanks. Okay, so and and again we mentioned the psalm. I, I do there is more I want to say about the psalm. But I don't want to give too much away. You know, it's, this is all narrative, you know, how you set up the punchline. I know. But the thing that's that's interesting, I, so the psalm is all about rejoicing because we went up to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord, which is what's going to happen at, right after our reading from the first reading. That's where it's going. They're all going to rejoice because he conquers Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem such a big deal? For the psalmist, for the writers of the rest of the, aside from David and his moment of conquering it, from that point on, why is the why is Jerusalem such a big deal? I mean, it's the Temple Mount. Which means what? It means that it's the um, uh, Mount Zion. It's the um, yeah, but if it's the Temple Mount, what is that? So what? Why is it important that the temple's there? What is the temple? Centers sacrifice, a purification from sin, purification for uh, the. Uh, it's Those the, are all things that happen. But the, what is it's it? It's the New Eden. Yeah. Why? Why though? Uh, man, I feel, big, like I'm an, part. I feel I'm like I'm in an engineering you. session. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to why, trick why? you. No, you're not tricking me. I just don't know what the answer is. So why do they sacrifice there? Why is it considered the New Eden? Well, isn't there like, I mean, okay. What is it? Well, What's I mean, there? isn't there like a hole that they thought was you're like. thinking too hard the, about it. You're thinking too hard. What's in the temple? Uh, the ark. What's in the ark? God's presence with the people. God. Yeah, his presence. Why is it such a big deal? Because God dwells there. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, yeah, yeah. you're taking it for granted. I mean, I know you know that, and you're thinking of all the peripherals. <laughs> they do sacrifice it's the New Eden because God is there. So why are we rejoicing in the psalm that we're coming to the house of the Lord? Because we're going to the place where the Lord is. So while that's where that is the role of Jerusalem, it's not tied to Jerusalem. And so when we say this in the psalm, we're not rejoicing because we're going back to the Middle East and taking a plane to Jerusalem, although that's a beautiful thing to do and to take pilgrimage to. Yes. What is our Jerusalem? Well, it's wherever Christ actually dwells. What is Zion for us? It's where the temple is, where God's presence is. Where is God's presence? Well, in the Mass, it's on the tabernacle. It's in each one of us. So we rejoice that we get to come up the steps and actually become the temples. So it's not tied just to the first reading. The first reading is pointing us ahead. And I mean, where is is Jesus going to do his salvific work? In Jerusalem. So all of these things happen in Jerusalem for the sake of pointing away to someplace else. I don't know if I worded that quite right. But that's why the the psalm it's, is more significant than just oh neat David established his capital there it's a really important city it, it's it's actually it's it's kind of like this the scandal of particularity when it comes to salvation why God would would actually choose individuals and then grow a house and then yeah. and yeah. then ex- expand out but that he had to start somewhere yes and and so so it it's the uh, it's the scandal of particularity that God's presence would be so specific ultimately with a view to right. expanding wide right exactly yeah exactly. But we can still speak these words. That's the point. Yeah. Even though they don't apply necessarily to that specific place any longer. They are still Zion. It's still the house of the Lord. It's just in a different place. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's what I have to say about the uh, the psalm. What do you got on your what, – what, give, give us our colossinoscopy. Uh, colossinoscopy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, it's um, totally – <laughs> you read this, and it's like, um, yeah, Jesus is uh, above everything entirely. Uh, I mean, you want angels? Yeah, above them. He's the image of God. Yes. I mean, like thrones, dominions. He's the head. He's the fullness of God, the firstborn from the dead. I mean, yeah. like this guy is, uh, I, I mean, it's it's like this song of uh, of, of de- declaration of absolute supremacy of God. Yes. 
I mean, and we want to sing it. And so we do. Well, and that's why it's called a hymn because we actually do believe that the early church probably sang this. This it's, was in their song, song books. It's not, a, it's not called a her? Oh, seriously. <laughs> Come on, dude. I've been a little late and over here. I'm a quiet dude. I just, I just am like enjoying the day, but you got to come out with it. Come on. What? The jokes? Yeah. That was good. Thanks. That was funny. Thanks for um, telling me that it was funny. No. <laughs> Normally, when people tell you something funny, oh, that's they're not, really they're not, funny. They're what not you laughing. Just said. That's really, that, that was, was a good one. That was really funny. <laughs> it wasn't funny. Like, it was witty. Oh, it, no, that wasn't It wasn't funny. Was haha. Just... Kind of like my face. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yes. Like your face. Like your face. Um, no, but here's here's what you have to know about Colossae. So the city to which this is being written. Colossae. Colossae, which was a rural church in the, Asia keep, keep it Colossae, Colossae. Keep it Colossae. That's good. Dude, that's pretty you good. See, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> then why aren't you laughing? Super funny. No, it was. <laughs> it was. I've got no laughter left. Thanks. I thought it was funny. Um. Colon- the church in Colossae was struggling with um, keeping with it Colossae. The thing- yes. <laughs> they were struggling with the idea that it would become Gnosticism. Um, it's not full-blown Gnosticism yet because that doesn't quite exist as an ism yet, here, but here, it's the for makings. The, for those people who don't know what Gnosticism is, yes. Gnosticism is essentially salvation comes through knowing enough. Kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. Gnosis means knowledge, yep. and so Gnosticism it just means that um, is that is that knowledge is what is actually the, the the tie that brings you into salvation. And what was most important for people who adhered to Gnosticism was the idea of secret knowledge. We know something that you don't know. We're better than you because we have we the secrets. We know something you don't know. Which is which is the premise to like every Discovery show, Discovery Channel, and National <laughs> Geographic thing <laughs> on the Bible that exists, isn't it? We the do. secrets of the Bible, <laughs> secret gospels. <laughs> The Vatican is hiding from you. Exposed. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't that the idea? But that sells. Because, oh, see, so they know something. I what have they been hiding from us? We lo- As humans, we love that. Love and they're it. struggling with that in Colossae because there's teachers that are saying, okay, Jesus is a great start. He's a great starting point. But then you can really enter into this gnosis and this secret knowledge. The other thing that Gnosticism does that's important for this, it rejects the body. It rejects matter, right? It's the idea that the spiritual stuff is good, bodily stuff is bad. Body, bad, spirit, good, right? Yeah. So what Paul is doing in this in the the, uh, the hymn of Colossae is, let's just read it really quick. It starts in verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So in other words, he makes visible the God who is invisible. So you guys are really hung up on your invisible knowledge, your secret, you know, non-bodily things. Guess what? He made God bodily and visible. So he's attacking it on the Dude, spot. Dude, looking at this in relationship to say that this him is a counteraction of Gnosticism totally blows my mind. It should, because it changes everything. It does. He says he was the firstborn of creation. You're really smart. So he's now he's talking about creation. He's the firstborn of creation. For him were created all things on heaven and earth, the physical things, the material things, the visible and the invisible, the thrones, the dominions, the principalities, powers. They were all created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see the word things repeated over and over again, because things. stuff matters. Yeah. Right? That's the idea. Stuff, uh, matters, is, matter, he stuff. Is matter, 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 matters. Matter, matter. He is the head of the body, the church, right? Body bad, spirit good. That's what they're saying. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that he, in himself he might pre, be preeminent. So basically the gist of it is saying he is the firstborn of all creation, 
And he's the firstborn of the new creation, the creation and the redemption. So in other words, he's all of it. He, he sum, uh, sums all of it up. But look at the last part. It says, for him, now catch this, uh, for in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile all things for him, making peace by the blood of his cross, through him whether in earth or uh, whether those on earth or in heaven. The word all, including the previous verse, is repeated three times in that couple of verses. Why does all keep getting repeated? Because what the teachers are saying, take a drink, what the teachers in Colossae are saying <laughs> is that you need Christ plus. You need Jesus and more. And what he's saying is, no, in Jesus, bodily Jesus, who encompasses all, you get all of it. It's not Jesus and more. He is all. He is the king. He is supreme. There's not some occult aspect to this that you can have secret access to. No, the fullness is totally available. That's it. Plenitude. that's the idea. And in that light, it's like, wow, that's a really cool. He's really going after it. And we get to see the the nature of the kingship of the Lord. Yeah. It relates both to his creation and his willingness and, and his, in his governance. His, his governance extends not only to his creation, but his sacrifice of himself by the peace through his own blood. Exactly. He doesn't exactly. make peace through another's blood. He doesn't. And that's, that's actually really profound. Yeah, that's it. That's awesome. What are you laughing at? Huge. <laughs> Dude, you guys, I I really hope that you get to attend Lanky Guys Live because um, have we te- have we said that we're having Lanky Guys Live, or did we just let the cat out of the bag? Did I just we said the there was a surprise? Well, if they make it this far, they should know about <laughs> Lanky true. Guys Live. We're doing a live one, <laughs> <laughs> well recorded, but in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> so not really live. Yeah, somebody warned me about trying to do like a phone bank of people calling in, and it just—it was Mary Valcani, wasn't it? Yeah, she's right. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Yeah, it was just technically very difficult to try to get those aspects down. It's true. Shall we get to the gospel? Mm, yes. Okay. Good. Oh, very good. Oh yes, yes. That today is a beautiful day in which we will get to the gospel. What do you got? Um. <laughs> <laughs> You keep on doing that to me as, Why? as if I have something. You said you had stuff. I well, I mean I do, but it's always in context. I feel like <laughs> you, I feel like the the reality of my life is that like I'm good at six sitcoms but not stand up. That's why this works because we don't have to make up material. We've got the readings. So oh, let's yeah. just read the readings oh, and yeah. we'll go from there. Dude, you're like you're a good teacher. Thanks <laughs> thanks for teaching me. You're wise and filled with generosity and you're skill. You're an adequate student. hey i deserve that from earlier mr earwax all right so So the rulers sneered at jesus and he said he saved others let him save himself if he is the chosen one the christ of god even the soldiers jeered at him as they approached to him to offer him wine they called out if you are the king of the jews save yourself and above him there was an inscription that read this is the king of the Jews. Isn't that cool how Luke's sort of asking, he's putting a question in the mouth of these soldiers. I mean, they, they really asked him. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then it says, oh, by the way, he was the king of the Jews. <laughs> See oh, the yeah. inscription? See the inscription? Dude, that's really, it's really masterful. It is, isn't it? You, you know, one of the things about um, cinema um, actually relates to uh, literature as well. Mm. If you ever make a movie... If if it's just the land of the talking people, it's gets really old, and that's on the on the nose dialogue. Yeah, 
like whereas subtlety like makes this, it, like what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're but we're offering I'm commentary. Just kidding. Just kidding. And, I'm just kidding. Okay. We are offering commentary. <laughs> we are offering commentary. And so on the nose dialogue says this says, I'm totally frightened of you. You're gonna kill me. Versus uh, versus like body language. Making like like your face is contorting and you're and you're like backing away and quivering. Mm. And and you convey it by actually showing it. Mm. And Luke is actually doing that right here. A Battlestar Galactica is really good for that too. Just in case. I tried I tried to watch it in the background. It doesn't work very well. In the background of the podcast? No. <laughs> Everybody I've just been watching Battlestar Galactica in the background. I hope that's okay. It's fine with me. No. Um so Luke, dude, that's really beautiful the way he shows that. Like well, sets the question in your mind and then, then he then answers, answers it, it with with the with the reality that's with present. With the reality, yeah. An ironic reality on top of that. It's not some sophism about it. It just says, Look, there's there it says so. Yeah. It's great. And I mean their question, save yourself. He will be saved. We he will all, he will save all the rest of us, just not in the way that anybody's particularly expecting it. Well they're asking a very existential question. Save yourself. Well, no, because they don't understand how profound it is because we have been incorporated into Christ. Yeah. And so the salvation of him, we are drawn up into that mystery. Yes. And so, he, in fact, he actually is trying to save himself. Yes. But not in, because, the way, yeah. in, a, in a way not more profound. Not in a profound. selfish way. Not in a selfish way. In a selfless way. Yes. Now, one of the criminals hanging there reviled him saying, reviled Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And so he's, he's repeating it, right? Are you not? I mean, and, and by the way, what does Christ mean? Anointed one. Who's the anointed one? David. <laughs> you always make it so much more complicated. I'm always looking for the dumbed down, simple answer. <laughs> the Messiah. The Savior. King. The King. It the was, King. I mean, it wasn't technically the Savior. The Savior was going to be a Christ, and the Messiah was going to be a Christ. But, but Christos just means King. It means anointed one, but who's anointed? The King is anointed. So David is. But so Caesar was called the Christ. Oh. Dude. Okay, you're getting into something that is like such a true experience of life. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas said, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. <laughs> right. Like, to, like, you can see how even in my mind, all of these concepts are, get jumbled up. Like, yeah. what is Christ? Savior. Like, anointed. I know that, I know that like, the technical answer, but the, right, the right. reality is, is that there's a universal. It means king. Yeah, it means he's the king. That's really cool. Thanks for which is why organizing my brain. I, I, there's a, which one? It's, um, oh, Philippians is where I usually have people do it. Philipp the letter of the Philippians mm -hmm. was actually written to a very political group of people in a town of Philippi who were all kind of military people. Um, and he uses the term Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, I think, more than any of the other letters. And I always challenge students to read, to take out the word Christ and just exchange it with king because that's what it means. And so reading about King Jesus or Jesus the King or King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus under the nose of, you know, the Roman government and the military leaders in Philippi, how many times he actually says it that way, you're, it changes the way your ears hear it. You're like, oh my gosh, that's actually a really political <laughs> statement that he just made. Yeah. It's not just kind of the spiritual thing that we're all used to. So this is a very, this is a very specific reality. Are you not the king? And they believe, the Jewish people believe they're king, because I mean, that's not something you say. You're like, oh my gosh, this person saves people. They must be the president of the U.S., that's not a, a reality that we have, but they expected their coming yeah. king yeah. to save people, to work miracles, to do supernatural things. They, right? even ex they even actually expected two people because there were so many things that needed to be done. It's true. 
It's true. So if, are you the king? If so, then save yourself and save us. But the other one rebuked him, rebuked the other guy, saying in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you're subject to the same condemnation. Indeed, we have condemned, been condemned justly for the sins we received in response to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. And he replied to him, Today I say to you, Amen, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. If you read through the whole thing, I think Jesus is fulfilling those three criteria that were given in the first reading about what it means to be king. He is an Israelite. It's then, there's an inscription placed above his head. I mean, that, that's clear. He is going to save himself and save us from our enemies. I mean, what, is, what does sozo mean to them? Sozo, salvation, to save? In the first century context, it means to save from an enemy. So save yourself, because look, this Roman military is hanging you on a tree. So save yourself. In other words, defeat the enemy. You know, David, David provided salvation from the Jebusites and the Canaanites because he defeated them in battle. That's what it means to be saved in the first century context. So does Jesus save us from our enemies? Yeah, but it's not the Romans. He saves us from somebody else. And uh, what was the third criteria? Well, Luke already set it up for us in the baptism that Christ, you know, the skies opened and God said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. He anointed him as king. So Jesus on the cross is, is culminating all three of those criteria that made David king but he's blowing it wide open in a way that that is is fully different. And the the only one who recognizes it, the only stinking person here who gets it is who? Who gets Jesus' kingship? The second thief. The second thief. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's the only one that actually gets it. The disciples have taken off. We know that Mary and John are kind of hanging around there. They're they're, they're somewhere, but they're they're voiceless in this particular moment. It's only this thief, this criminal, who actually gets, not just that Jesus was God. I don't think that's what he's articulating. He's getting the kingship, which is why this is Mm. a a profound reading for today. Man, it sure is. You. Can I throw out one last thought? This has nothing to do with that. It's a much more menial. But I've always had people ask me the question, Ben Akers, who I don't think listens to this. We had a great discussion about this once, about how the role of purgatory fits in with this criminal on the cross. Right, because it, yes, he repented certainly, but you know, most of us are probably going to go to purgatory for a little while. Mm. You know what? What? And maybe this guy had perfect faith. I have no my, idea. My dad claims that he's going to be the last one out of purgatory, like flaming. <laughs> they like, oh, all I right, that, come on. I thought that place closed a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're still here. You're still here. I was wondering though if there's an interesting way you could grammatically read this in one of two ways. Jesus either said to him, "Amen, I say to you," comma. Today you will be with me in paradise. But that's weird because where's Jesus going that day on Friday? To hell. He's not headed to paradise. No. So how can he be saying, today you will be with me in paradise? Mm. Unless you can grammatically shift it around. Because remember, there's no commas or exclamation in Greek. So what if he's just simply saying, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh. As opposed to you, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus isn't headed to paradise quite yet. It's He's actually, actually got work to do. More beautiful, isn't it? Kind of. It's like it's like, Amen. I say to you today, like I say no, to you right now, as King, I am making a declaration. Well, do, well this coming with. Well, me. this is the thing is that what what it teases out in this moment is the enthronement of Christ as King on the cross. Yes, like that's actually what's. It's a disturbing thing to think about because what we. What we're trying to understand about the glorification is sensual earthly things, not the heart of love. And 
And so like the, the true kingly action is the heart of love, the heart of creation and the heart of sustaining. And so, so right. amen, I say to you today, it, it, it's like this. He's like, on my, on the day of my daughter's wedding, how can I refuse you anything? Yeah, like that's he's, it. He's, he's like, today as I am enthroned On the day king, of my coronation, yeah. Um, oh, wow. That's I, really good. I say you will be with me you in You brought Paris. the godfather into it. <laughs> no, that was really good. That was a really good use of it, though. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that left and right. You, <laughs> you watch out. <laughs> so we say to you this day. You will be with us on the on podcast. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that makes me feel funny a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, you guys are awesome. Um, thanks for joining us for this episode of and The Linky us. Guys. And joining us. Did, did I just say enjoying? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I enjoyed on you today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for enjoining upon us the shout outs that you have previously suggested. Mm. We will be back next week with um, another episode. And then we'll be back next week with our special, super special, super duper anniversary episode. Anniversary special. So be there. Or be Lanky. Send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Do we have a Twitter? No. Find us on Twitter. We <laughs> look have... for us all day long on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Search us out on LinkedIn, which we are not on, and we will never respond to your LinkedIn requests, unfortunately. LinkedIn is the most persistent of all of the automated systems, <laughs> <laughs> telling you that there are requests it's waiting true. for you. Leave us alone, LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn. All that is holy. <laughs> leave us alone. Today I say to you, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful Christ. Have a wonderful New Year's Eve of the church New Year. Yeah, and keep it classy. <laughs> keep it classy. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week. <laughs>